Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today, what we're going to talk about is the spirit of giving and how it's really all or nothing. And I'm sure on the heels of Christmas morning, absolutely no one wants to think about giving anymore. And it's, and it's thankless work, isn't it? With all due respect to Santa, ever notice how Christmas is a lot like your day job? You do all the work and then a fat guy in a suit gets all the credit. Alright? But seriously... There's no better time to talk about giving. This is what we do on Christmas. We have a tradition of giving at this time of year. And in Christmas, our kids hold us to it. But actually, the rest of the year, the entire Christian church has a tradition of giving too. But the only one who can hold hold us to it is ourselves, right? The story of Ananias and Sapphira might seem very frightening. In fact... It is. I don't see anyone dropping dead here, so I think we're all good. And so far, so good. But these folks, they didn't want to give up everything they had for the church, so they kept just a little back for themselves. And what's the harm in that? I think we all do that. 
most of us probably keep far more for ourselves and for our family than we get to church on a Sunday morning, right? And is God striking any of us down for that? I don't think so. So far, so good. But the problem with Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira is they lied. Peter said, you had every reason to do whatever you wanted with that property while you still had it. And you had every reason to do what you wanted with the money while it was still in your hands. But you lied to me and you lied to God about giving it all to us. They pretended to give it all away to the church, probably in order to look good and to gain God's blessing and probably some status for themselves on the side in the church. So ask yourself, have you ever given in this way? Is your giving ever like that? And honestly, we're not human if we don't wish to derive at least some benefit from our giving, right? Even if we just want to feel good by making someone else feel good. Is that so bad? Is the story of Ananias and Sapphira to terrify us if we don't give everything we have to the church or to charity? Is God going to strike us down if we don't give all or nothing? This is a big question whenever we read this story. And think about this. While the church certainly stood to benefit from their donation, whatever Ananias and Sapphira thought they were going to gain for themselves... God denied them completely. He just struck them down. And that was that. So why did they get such a harsh punishment? Why these two? What was expected of them that they failed to do? And is the same expected of us today? The answer can be found by diving deep into the good book. That's how these sermons usually start. So... Let's ask ourselves first, why did this couple bring money to Peter in the first place? What was going on? Was this donation the same kind of offering that we make on our Sunday mornings when Mike comes around with the basket? What was going on in the church at this time of this story? So in Acts 4, Luke records, all the believers were one in heart and soul. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own but they shared everything they owned. There were no one needy among them because those who owned lands or houses would sell their property. They would bring the proceeds from the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet for distribution to anyone as he had need. End quote. I remember hearing this passage over and over when I was in college. And everyone told me that this means that Jesus was the first ever card-carrying communist. Right? And that not a single church has gotten it right since Acts 4. Because look, do any of our churches operate like that? Have you ever been to a church that does that? Have you ever read of a church in a history book that does that aside from Acts 4? They call them cults. What's that? They call them cults now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that, right? Mike's on the ball. Um, but, but that's what they say. They say that that's what Jesus wanted his church to be, Acts 4, and that's what he expects of us now, in church and out. I heard this so many times and in, a, in so many places that I believed it myself for a long time. Most of my friends still do, but that's not what was going on. 
And some of you will be relieved to hear that, and others will be disappointed. So there's a good reason for this that has to do with biblical prophecy. And there's a long version and a short version. Lucky for you, I'm going to take the short version today. Because the long version is a whole sermon series that I'll probably do some other time. But the first question we need to ask is why was everyone selling their property? Okay? Surely Jesus didn't tell everyone to do that, right? He did. In Matthew 19, a rich young man asked Jesus what he must do to gain eternal life. Do you remember what Jesus says? Sell everything you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. So that's answer number one. People were selling the property because Jesus told them to. So, does that mean if any of you are living in homes that you own, or driving in cars that you own, does that mean you're not being obedient to Jesus? This is why this whole thing is such an important question. What's the answer? Should you sell it? Should you sell your house, sell your car? Maybe just rent instead? It's not small stuff, because you don't want to end up like Ananias and Sapphira, struck down for not giving it all, right? So the answers lie ahead as we answer the second question. The second question is, with everyone selling all that they owned, why were they sharing the proceeds in Acts 4 when the church started? The long answer is spread out throughout the whole Bible in prophecy, actually. The short answer is in what's called the Olivet Discourse. When Jesus goes up on the, on the Olivet uh, Mount of Olives, you know, says to the fig tree, wither away. And, and this is what he says to them. He gives them this warning. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you'll know that her desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those in the city get out and let those in the country stay out of the city for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill what's written. And Jesus said that this is to fulfill what's written by Daniel, namely that the temple and the city of Jerusalem were going to be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, you following this? Think about this for a second. Imagine you're growing up with 500 years worth of prophecies saying that Martha's Vineyard is going to be destroyed at the end of 500 years. And all of a sudden, a holy man shows up who can literally raise the dead, and he says, this generation shall not pass away until these things have come to pass. This is it. This is your last shot. If that happened, you'd probably rethink your property investments too, right? Martha's Vineyard is going to be gone. Sell everything. You might think it'd be time to sell, and you might start looking for another place to live. And it was the same with those who lived in Judea and believed Jesus. And history records, we talked about this the other week, history records that the Christians heeded this warning. General Titus, the future Caesar, came with his troops and surrounded Jerusalem. The Christians got out of Dodge in time to escape the carnage, just like Jesus told them to. The whole city went up in flames. It was, it was horrible, but they got out. And this was the second exodus. Doesn't that make sense? Why Luke records Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus becomes this man of light and all of a sudden these prophets from hundreds of years ago come, show up, and they say, they, they start talking about Jesus' exodus, which he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. 
right there at the Transfiguration. They talk about his exodus. So search the New Testament. You're not going to see any other Christians selling their property except for those in Judea. In fact, Paul explains that the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, that they're getting rich. And he repeatedly writes to them, and he says, Remember the collection for the saints which are to be delivered to the poor persecuted church in Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem, they're doing everything they can to spread that good word, to let people know what's going on, just until the last minute, until the time comes for them to flee the city. That's what was going on in Jerusalem. So think about this. Just like the remnant of Moses' generation who sold off their properties and cashed out all the wealth for their exodus from Egypt, so did Jesus' generation prepare for their exodus from spiritual Egypt. That's what the Apostle John called Jerusalem, spiritual Egypt, as a time was coming for its destruction. So this is the background that brings us back to Ananias and Sapphira. It was in this time, in these days, foretold by Moses and Jesus and all the prophets, the days of vengeance, the days of wrath, that this couple decided to sell their property in Judea Smart idea, but when they went to Peter to give him the money, but withheld some, God did not withhold his wrath and his judgment. And this is exactly what Peter was talking about when he said, judgment begins in the house of God. What God was preparing to pour out on unrepentant Jerusalem that was so unrepentant and spiritually adulterous that John also called it spiritual Sodom, he didn't hesitate to pour out on Ananias and Sapphira first as an example that his wrath was already standing in the doorway to avenge the blood of the righteous martyrs all the way back to Abel. That's what was going on. And it's very similar to the story of Simon Magus, the Samarian, who wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Peter says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in our ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of your wickedness. So what Simon did was the same as what Ananias and Sapphira did. They're trying to buy the way into God's salvation, which is an act of wickedness. And at this time, God was beginning to pour out his wrath on the wicked because this appointed time had come. All right? So this is a special time in history. So I want to tell you, so that you all understand. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira is not going to happen to any of you. I mean, I can't make full promises that you all won't be struck down for something random, but I don't think it's going to be we're not giving enough to your church or even to charity. And Scripture is clear and full of assurance about that, okay? Nor should you believe any church that tells you that you are meant to surrender all your belongings to them. As Mike said, that's a cult, Right? That's not right either. No one, neither church, no church, no one has the right to expect that of you or threaten the fate of Ananias or Sapphira over your head. That's important life stuff, okay? We're not inhabitants of this first century Jerusalem who are preparing for an exodus to escape destruction of the city and the temple. Scripture is very clear. We no longer live under that law, but under grace. Were we living under the old covenant law, we would still need that temple standing, right? To perform all those sacrifices for us. 
Otherwise, we would be subject to the wrath of the law because as Paul says, the law brings the wrath. But what we proclaim and believe is the cross, the new covenant of Jesus. Paul said to Thessalonians again, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus. If this was true for all those first century believers who are watching God's wrath being revealed from heaven against the breakers of the law, even as the law was passing away then, and the temple with it, how much more so it's true for us, for whom the law and the temple are long gone, and who have been living under a new covenant for thousands of years. So here's the thing. I'm going to have to be very straight with you. Right? The new covenant makes it very, very difficult for me as a preacher to scold you or to scare you into doing the right thing, into doing good things. God made his message very clear with Jesus. He died for your sins so that they may be washed away and remembered no more. Even Paul struggled to convey the importance of a holy life because he admitted that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Where bad stuff happens, that just proves that God is, is allowing it because he's gracious. He lets sinners just do what they want because he's gracious. He's not going to strike everyone down. You, you have freedom in Christ. No one is forcing you to be a joyful giver. No one should. But I'll tell you this. Precisely because there's no compulsion, how much more gracious and pleasing to God is your giving when you do give and when you give joyfully? And that's also what it means when grace abounds. When you do good that you're not forced to do, it's so much more good. Isn't it strange and fitting with all this talk of giving and prophecy? that Jesus' most profound prophecy, this one we're talking about, the Olivet Discourse, it was spurred by a story about giving. It was a visit to the temple that he took with his uh, disciples in his last year of ministry, and he noticed the poor old widow giving a small, meager gift to the temple. And he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than everyone else here. Because all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And this, this is when Jesus pronounces judgment on the temple. And he says, not one stone of this temple is going to be left standing, folks. And what did God say? Your sacrifices mean nothing to me. I don't want your sacrifices. I want your charity and I want your mercy. Charity and mercy. Those are matters of the heart and the soul of a person. That is the all of a person. With God, giving is all or nothing. In pronouncing judgment on the temple, God says, if you're not going to give me all you have, if you're not going to give me your all in your heart and soul and spirit, don't bother. That's the lesson of Ananias and Sapphira. It's all or nothing. In the heart, soul, and spirit. So listen, this, this little church, lest you think that I'm trying to bash you over the head and to give in for the church. Yes, our church needs 
food and water, so to speak, to survive like any other living thing on earth. But if any of you feel obligated to give to this church, consider this whole message your permission to not feel obligated. And not just the church, but to the stranger on the street, or to a hungry child. God is not going to strike you down if you don't give. But consider whom God did strike down so that you could live under such grace. Jesus. Consider what his condemnation means for you. Salvation. Consider the all that he gave so that you could get away with giving nothing and yet gain everything. And consider then, if you have gained so much by giving nothing, how much you can gain by giving something. By forgiving us in Christ, God stripped away any justification for anyone to make demands on you. Do you understand that? Think about this. You're indebted to no one. No one on earth. Has anyone sinned against you? Christ has forgiven him. He doesn't owe you. He owes Christ. And by the same token, you owe Christ and no one else. So what should your attitude be in giving? What is the spirit of giving? It's all or nothing. Alright? Say that with me, all or nothing. It's like the Backstreet Boys song, all or nothing at all. Here's what the Bible says about it. This is what Paul says. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That is what Ananias and Sapphira missed, but the widow in the temple didn't. The married couple, and not Ananias and Sapphira, they lived for themselves, but the widow lived for the Lord. And that's the difference. She was motivated by humble love for God. And so she gave herself to heaven. You remember these words, if I give all I possess to the poor and exult in the surrender of my body but have not love, I have nothing. If I give all but have not love, I have nothing. Love, love is always the key to decoding the gospel and the Bible. And when it comes to all or nothing, if you don't have love, then you have nothing. Love is the difference between bare minimum and above and beyond. Love is how God judges whether you're given all or nothing. You love. And you'll get what you give. If you give love, then you get it all. If you don't have any love, you gain nothing. And this is how it part ways with this, this year's Christmas season. Let's take that spirit of giving into the rest of the year. But let's go for it all or nothing, okay? Just like Jesus showed us how. And instead of once a year trying to figure out how to put the Christ back in Christmas, how about the rest of the year? From now on, we put the Christ back in Christians, all right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry.
For more about Sean's music, please visit workmansong.com.